Discernment is the gift from God. It's a fruit. The Bible actually shows that it is something that God grows in us. But it's something that we have to practice. We have to exercise just like any other gift. But it's an ability that you and I have to distinguish right from wrong. And that's why as a shepherd, under shepherd in this congregation, um, it has been so heavy on my heart to share with you the importance of discerning because we are in a very convoluted world, convoluted church, convoluted relationships. We are in a, in a place in life and in time where it's very difficult to navigate our way through all the gray areas in life. Things aren't black and white anymore. And so discernment is of the utmost importance. Discernment is therefore the ability not just to distinguish between right and wrong, but good from evil. To divide truth and error. To discern is to look at an ideology, or it's to look at a theology, or it's to look at a doctrine, or it's to look at a lifestyle, or it's to look at a policy. It doesn't matter what you're looking at. And then to identify what is accurate about it, and what is inaccurate about it. So whether you look at an ideology, a doctrine, or a theology, or a lifestyle, uh, you can see what is accurate by it, not because you are judging it, but because you can take the judge of all ages, the Word of God, and use it as a measuring tape and measure that situation, measure that conversation, measure that lifestyle, measure yourself, measure your own outlook, measure your worldview, measure everything in life by the Word. And what is so wonderful about that is people misunderstand the church. People say the church is being judgmental, right? That's usually what the people think about the church, but really they couldn't be more wrong the church is not judgmental. You are not judgmental when you discern. You are allowing the very Word of God to judge a situation. And then you side with the Word every time. You're not judgmental. The Word judges every situation. You side with the Word. So if ever you get, in, you get invited to speak on Oprah Winfrey's show, and you get asked a question, is this a sin? You go... I'm not the one that decides what is sin and what's not. But the Bible says, yes, it is. Isn't that just a wonderful answer? <laughs> You're not judgmental, but the Word of God judges all things. By the way, do you know that one day in the second judgment, the Bema seat of Christ, when all saints stand before Jesus, He will judge us how? According to the Word. The Word of God will stand before you and measure you. That's the word judgment, is measurement. You'll be evaluated by Scripture. And then you and I will have to give an account for our lives. And the other thing that is true about that is that you and I will stand before the Word of God alone. And we will give an account for our lives, not for anybody else's. And so right in this world, in this age, you and I, get to measure our lives, discern our own thoughts, conversations, ideologies, beliefs, worldviews, theology, doctrine, by the very Word of God. That's called discernment. This is why it is so important to educate our understandings with the Scriptures. Let me just quickly say this. It is so important for me as a parent to 
help cultivate my son and my daughter's conscience. Well, what is your conscience? Conscience is part of your heart, and your heart either smites you or validates you. Remember remember David? His heart smote him after he touched Saul. Well, that was his conscience. Your conscience is part of your heart. And how do you cultivate or, or mold a child's heart, or your own heart for that matter? Well, your conscience will either excuse you or accuse you according to the highest truth you've ever been exposed to. The highest truth you've ever been exposed to, like Plato, forms your conscience. And your conscience now accuses or excuses you what you do, what you say, what you think, what you believe, based on the very scriptures that you know. That's why memorizing the very word of God is so important. Because that is forming our consciences, their consciences. And it's their conscience that allows them to go, oh, wait a minute. You know, like the umpire, it's in or it's out. You know, like, okay, this situation I discern to be evil. Why? Because uh, I already can tell you there's a thousand verses that tells me that that is evil. Oh, how can you be so judgmental? I wasn't judgmental. I'm telling you, there are a thousand verses in that objective scriptures, uh, uh, that canon of scriptures that's telling me that that's evil. But how do you feel about it? Actually, I kind of like it. (laughs) But anyway, it's evil. And I'm told to reject it because it's evil. You see, so, so no, you're not being judgmental. You're being discerning. I've always, you know, I love it when I have a lot of pastors on Facebook. And I love it when they post their, um, God never called us to judge. He said, judge not. Well, okay. If you read that verse a little f- further, it says, but judge with, God, with, with righteous judgment. So, okay, it does say judge. <laughs> it was saying, don't judge the wrong way. Don't judge based on your subjective perspective on something or your feeling or your past experiences or how you were raised or your traditions or what mom says is wrong. It's wrong because mom says it's wrong. No, that's judgment. But if you allow the word of God to speak into the situation and side with the word of God, you're not the one being judgmental. All right, you get, you get the point. This is why it's so important for you and I to educate our understanding with Bible doctrine. How many of you would agree with me when you look at the amount of sociopaths in the world today that we have a problem with conscience? <laughs> People's consciences are all messed up. It's a spaghetti bowl, right? They feel convicted over stuff that's not even a sin. They want to throw people in prison for stuff that's not even a sin. And then for the things that are sins, oh, yeah, no, we need to make that legal and lawful. Actually, we're going to make that mandatory. How about that? <laughs> So uh, this is all a conscience issue because of the highest truth that's been exposed to those people, people in general, their consciences are formed by it. Being educated in Bible doctrine is the only possible way for you and I to establish God-sized mind frames. Allow your mind frame to be constructed by the Bible, the truth not by worldly philosophies, ideologies, or psychology. I like what Charles Spurgeon said. Charles Spurgeon said that discernment is not knowing the difference between right and wrong. 
Discernment is knowing the difference between right and almost right. You see, that's where the church has a very hard time. By discerning the difference between what's right and almost right, what's true and what's a half a truth. If something is a half a truth, they sometimes get a little stuck because, well, there's so much good in that half a truth. How can I reject the entire half truth? But a half truth is a complete lie, right? Satan doesn't come to you completely looking like Satan. No, he comes to you looking like how? An angel of light. Why? Because he's attempting to be deceiving and he's banking on you not having the ability to discern. He's banking on you not practicing discernment or having none of it. Because then you will buy into him hook, line, and sinker. You will believe everything he says. I mean, look, he's got wings like an angel and he shines like Jesus. He's angel of light. He's got to be right. Well, not to the one who has discernment. To the one who has discernment takes the scripture and go like, yeah, he's simply just not tall enough. He couldn't be <laughs> the one I'm looking for, right? Discernment is essential for living the Christian life effectively. It's essential for living the Christian life fruitfully and usefully. And our foundational scripture for today is found in 1 Thessalonians 5, 21 and 22. 1 Thessalonians 5, 21 and 22. It says, but examine everything. Do what? Examine what? Everything. When you read a verse, you ask yourself questions all the time. Who's speaking? Paul. Who's he speaking to? Us, the church. What's he, what's he suggesting to, for us? No, he's not suggesting. He's commanding. Okay, well, what is he commanding us to do? To examine. What are we supposed to examine? Everything. Then it says, hold firmly to that which is good and abstain from every form of evil. Every form of evil. So yeah, Paul is commanding us, exhorting us to examine everything. That's absolutely everything. Everything is part of everything because that's what everything means. And to hold on to that which passes the test while letting go of that which fails that test. So unfortunately, however, today's church is very gullible. And the church has actually always been gullible because we are sheep. And sheep are gullible. You know, they kind of like just, all right, I'll go over here. Oh, there's a cliff. Where? Woo! <laughs> you know, sheep just um, aren't all that bright, and that's us. We need God's wisdom. We need His leading. But what's so encouraging to me is Jesus said, my sheep do what? They hear my voice. But then the second part Jesus said is actually more encouraging. It says, and the voice of a stranger they will not follow. Voice of a stranger, they will not follow. And so sometimes in church, what happens is you have somebody start spreading a heresy, let's say. And people have come to me and said, hey, Jacques, seriously, like that person, like they, sh they say, they're saying what you taught there is completely wrong and really they're saying this. And I'm like, okay, what do you want me to do? Well, that's really bad. Okay, but... Do you realize that my sheep hear my voice, Jesus, said, and the voice of a stranger, they will not follow. Right. It's not they, don't, they stop following the wrong voices because I told them to stop following the wrong. That's not going to be good enough. Because if I can convince you to stop listening to somebody, then somebody else is going to start convincing you to listen to them again. 
If I can talk you out of something, somebody else can talk you back into it, right? But if you're a sheep, the voice of a stranger, that person's not going to follow. You know, you can get caught up in a cult, but if you're a truth seeker, they're going to stay there for, you're going to get, you're going to get rescued. You're going to get out of it. And so what's interesting to me is when somebody says, hey, somebody's sharing like a lot of, lot of strange stuff. I'm like, okay, well, let's see who's all going to follow that. I'm interested in knowing who's going who's gonna to take the bait. Because <laughs> it says more about the one taking the bait than the one actually giving the bait, right? And so Paul is here commanding us to exhort. And the church is so gullible, it accepts anything mainstream. Have you ever noticed? Anything that's mainstream, it's like, well, I guess it's right. And the church will oftentimes grab on stuff, but the truth seekers, this is, where, this is what happens. I believe this is how God does it. Um, the, the chaff and the wheat is being separated. And how is it separated? By divisions. That's how it's separated. The real sheep eventually will go like, wait a minute, that's not, that's not the voice. I'm looking for another voice. The sheep will eventually always catch on to the voice of the shepherd, ultimately. But the church at large is so gullible, it accepts whatever is mainstream. And, and you know, uh, unfortunately, let me just use a name just to make it even more contextual. But if Lauren Daigle says something's okay, is it okay? Well, if the church thinks it is, you won't believe the size the, part, the, the, the percentage of the church at large that's just jumping on board because, well, it seems mainstream. It seems popular. It must be right. It feels good. It's got to be okay. They're so gullible, the church embraces anything that looks remotely acceptable. Well, I mean, there's a lot of good in it, you know. I mean, it's not all bad. You know, I mean, it is loving. I mean, it is caring. I mean, it is, it seems nice. It's, it's like, it's, it's very em empathetic, you know. And so the church just grabs a hold of anything that has a little bit of that in it, or it seems remotely good. There's one problem that seems to be hidden from our sight, but has actually crippled the church from the inside, like a cancer eating away, eating away at the church, is the church's inability to discern or you might say the church's inability to judge. Because of the lack of discernment, the church at large has participated in so many bad decisions, faulty reasonings, shallow knowledge, widespread ignorance on certain issues. Um, actually, John MacArthur made the statement. He said, throughout history, the lack of discernment has contributed more harm to the church than all the persecution combined. The lack of discernment has harmed the church in a greater way than all of the persecution combined. I'm thinking about persecution. Are you kidding me? Think about what happened in 64 after death. You know, when Nero burnt down the city, <clears throat> burnt down Rome and then blamed the Christians. And now they started just burning Christians at the stake everywhere. And they used them as lamp poles down the street. I mean, think about the Spanish Inquisition where the Roman Catholic Church gave themselves the permission to uh, torture heretics and cause them to snitch on each other by torturing them. And then they said, well, these people still aren't doing what we're telling them to do, so what we're going to do is we have to execute them, but we have a problem. We're the church. And the Bible says, thou shalt not kill. What are we going to do with this person we want dead? 
So what they did is they basically handed them over to the state for execution. And so the state would actually, that's the Spanish Inquisition. So the church remained innocent from murdering anybody, but all the heretics in their book got murdered. Same thing that happened to Jesus, right? But here, MacArthur says that all of the persecution of the church did the church less harm than the church's inability to discern. First, when I listened to that, I thought, impossible. I mean, look at all the bloodshed. And after much thought, I realized, actually, that is very true. And the reason why it's true is because persecution of the church throughout the ages has refined and strengthened the church's faith. The faith of the believer was strengthened and refined with all of the pressure that came on them. I mean, if you, if you have to live under that pressure, you've got to have to decide what you really believe. Your faith has been defined. If you live under that pressure, your strength is being tested. And so all of the persecution of the church has been really good for the church in a way, but the lack of discernment has caused the church to compromise on every, every front. Think about how the church has been compromising, even compromising right now, and it is not because of persecution. It is because of the lack of discernment. So yes, he's right. This lack of discernment has crippled the church in a much greater way than persecution ever did. A church that cannot draw lines between good and evil is a lost church. They've lost their way. A church that cannot draw lines between sin and righteousness, I don't know if it's still a church. A church lacking in discernment is definitely a goal Satan has because he comes as an angel of light, banking on the fact that you will not be able to discern who he really is. Satan is banking on you not having discernment. I mean, why do you think after reading book of Acts, you see, oh, wow, there's something missing. You know what you, what, what's strikingly missing in the book of Acts, the early church? Denominations. There are, there's no such thing as a denomination. And Paul actually reprimanded people and he said, hey, why do, why do you say you're from Paul and you say... Uh, you know, you're from Apollos, and you say you're from Cephas. Like, don't you guys realize this is downright immaturity? It's carnality? But yet today, I just checked it out yesterday, we have 33 plus thousand, 33,000 plus different denominations worldwide, Christianity. Instead of siding with the objective truth of Bible from cover to cover, every group that finds its pet little issue runs off and starts their own gig. But this should never have been. This is really not what God planned because we're clearly warned of this. Scripture tells us and warns us of doctrines of demons. Oh, but without discernment, how will we know it's a doctrine of demon? We'll think it's a doctrine of the holy God. It warns us of destructive heresies. But how would we know a destructive heresy unless we have discernment? It warns us of myths. It warns, Scripture warns us of perverse teachings, of commandments of men, of speculations, of deceitful spirits, of worldly fables. It warns us of false knowledge. It warns us of empty philosophies. It warns us of traditions of men. It warns us of wor worldly wisdom. Like without deception, uh, excuse me, we would be deceived without discernment. Deception 
is eminent for the one who doesn't discern. All of these things would be true for the person without discernment. Doctrines of demons, they'll buy into it. Destructive heresies, they'll take it. Myths, oh, they love those. Perverse teachings, somehow it just works for them. <laughs> they'll buy into all of the above. Jesus said wolves would come. And how would they come? In sheep's clothing. Discernment is needed in order to even recognize. Paul said wolves would come in and not spare the flock. Paul wrote to Timothy and said that as the age goes on, evil men would get worse and worse. So let's return to our foundational text for today. And then what we'll do is we'll take it one portion at a time so that we'll have a very full understanding of Paul's original intent when he penned this. In 1 Thessalonians 5.21, it says, But examine everything. The word examine here means to test. Paul commanded us to exercise discernment by testing everything to see whether it's genuine, whether it's true, whether it's false, whether it's right or wrong, good or bad. Uh, we are called, therefore, to separate. Is it right? Is it wrong? Is it good? Is it bad? Is it God? Is it not? We are called to separate, to discriminate against two different positions and see what we're looking at on which camp does it fall. We are called to separate the wheat from the chaff. You see, this term examine everything could also be accurately translated as test everything in your life. Test every conversation you have, every relationship that you have, test every belief that you hold, test, all, test your faith to see if it's in fact biblical. Test yourself to see if you are in the faith, Paul says. Test everything. How many of you have ever had a conversation, you just enjoyed the conversation you got in your car, and it was more of a gossip session? <laughs> you get in your car, you're driving home, and you're like, ah, yuck. It was so awesome while I was gossiping, but now that I'm driving home, my conscience is like, I'm like, okay. You know, do you know these Rolodexes that we used to have with all the telephone numbers on it? It can kind of spin like that, like that. That's what happens to me. I'm driving home, and scriptures are like, oh, I, did, I broke that verse. I broke this verse. I overstepped that one. Yeah, yep, I ignored that one. It was willing. Yes, it was willing. I knew I was doing the wrong thing. Yes, I did. Now, how am I going to ask forgiveness for stuff that I'm planning on doing? You know, like all these verses, like by the time I'm getting home, I'm like, all right, can somebody please pray the sinners pray with me? I think let's try and see if that works. <laughs> but that's why the Bible says examine, test everything, test everything. And another way to translate that statement accurately would be to judge everything. Judge everything or evaluate everything. Discernment, that's what that is. To discern is to evaluate a conversation, a theology, a doctrine, a policy. To discern everything. Not subjectively, but objectively. <sighs> Let those scriptures just run up against it or undergird it. One of the two. So the person who has no discernment, is the person who refuses to test anything. They're like, no, I'm not judgmental. I'm just, I just love everyone and everything. No, I don't have a thought. I don't have an opinion. No, I take no stand. You know, uh, truthfully, those people, just if you're one of them, watch this. Um, 
if you never take a stand, you do so in order to be loved by people, right, on both sides. That's really what it is. But do you realize <laughs> that nobody loves that about you? Ultimately, nobody feels safe with you because they don't actually know where you really stand because everybody knows everybody stands somewhere, right? Nobody knows where they really stand. But if you tell me, hey, by the way, Jacques, I know where you stand. I stand on the other side of that. I'm like, oh, good. Yeah, let's talk it out. We, uh, we can get together for coffee and we can debate. But if, you, if I don't even know where you stand, I'm like, I'm not saying anything to that person. Mm -mm. I don't feel safe with them. And nobody likes that about anybody. The person who has no discernment is the person who refuses to test anything. They refuse to evaluate anything. They refuse to judge a situation as right or wrong. They say things like, it feels good to me. That's why I'm going to believe it. I love tuning into this guy. Yeah, he makes me feel good. That's why I believe what he says. Why? Because it makes me feel good. It's pragmatic. It works for me. It scratches my itch. Oh, my ears love that. Say that again. You see, and that's what we were warned against. The person who does not, who, who don't, they do not practice discernment is the one that says, well, mom says it's true. It's got to be true. That's what mom always says. Dad says it's true. It's got to be true. So their litmus test, their measuring stick, or their measuring tape is who? Mom. Not scriptures, No. Their measuring tape is feelings. Oh, that makes me feel great. So it must be right. That's not discernment, folks. That's deception. The opposite of discernment. They say things like, that is what I've always believed. I grew up believing that. That's true. I don't, I don't want to hear it. I, always, I believe it. I, I know what I believe, and it's worked for me so far. Mm. It's worked for your emotions. It's worked for your ego, which is very sensitive, by the way. <laughs> the person who has no discernment is the person who refuses to evaluate everything by, by measuring it against scriptures, but they'd rather measure it against everything else. Mom, dad, tradition, experience, feelings, culture. The person who has no discernment Oftentimes, they will not test or evaluate a doctrine. Not going to do it. It just doesn't sound right to me. Well, how does it not sound right to you? Do you have a verse for how it's supposed to sound? <laughs> Oftentimes, the reason people will not test or evaluate a doctrine, a teaching, a truth, or a lifestyle is because their litmus test of right and wrong is not scriptures, but a TV preacher. It's like, ah, well, he says, yo, this guy that I watch, he says, he says, you're a heretic. Guess you are. I'm like, oh, okay. They will say things like, I know that that is not true because my favorite preacher on TV said it's not. Or I know I'm right because that is what I've always believed because that is what I was always told by this guy I watch on TV. You see, these are the mindsets of those who have no discernment and cannot evaluate truth according to scriptures. They evaluate truth according to what others say is right or wrong. 
or they evaluate truth according to what they feel is right or what they feel is wrong or what they've always believed or what is mainstream or what is popular or what usual evangelicalism believes. They think, well, in America, this is what, this is what Christianity is. You know what would be one of the hardest things to do is to take American Christianity and try and go and evangelize people, you know, in China, in certain parts in Africa. They, like, it, it would be so foreign to them. You know, I've had people, true story, tell me that I'm scripturally off. And then when I ask them, which scripture am I off on? They go like, well, I'm not going to talk to you about that. <laughs> you know these kids that when they were young, um, they want to hide when our kids were young. This is the way they hide. They don't want you to see them. They do this. <laughs> they just close their eyes <laughs> thinking that you can't see them. And I, I had a little monkey. Remember my little Felix? That little monkey did the exact same thing. He's busy with a hen, hen in a cookie jar and you walk in and you're like... <laughs> and you're like, Felix, I see you. <laughs> <laughs> but that's what these people with no discernment do. They go like, yeah, you're off scripturally. I'm like, which scripture am I off on? Because I'm happy to change it. Which one, which one am I off on? Well, no, I, I don't know. They can't tell me which scripture it is because guess why? They, they don't know. That's why they'd rather just shut their eye to it. Like, don't bring me the Bible. Because I know you're off. I just don't know which scripture you're off on. <laughs> Why am I off? Because somebody else told me you are, okay? All right, well, that, that, that isn't just a lack of discernment. That's downright foolishness right there. Then the Bible says not just examine everything, but then it says hold firmly to that which is good. Hold firmly to that which is good. Let me just back up one second here. I've, just, I've realized this one thing, that oftentimes people judge you the way they are. You see, life isn't uh, to some... Life isn't the way it is to you. It's the way you are, you know. To, to, the, person, to the person that's, let me say it this way, okay. If there's, a, if there's a thief and the thief comes to church, guess who's going to hold Titus to their wallet? The thief, because he thinks everybody else, hey, I'm not going to let you, you know. It's like the dad. His, girl, his daughter grows up and now he wants a baseball bat. I just want a baseball bat. First guy, that got on a baseball bat, I'm going to beat that guy. Why? Because, yeah, he remembers when he was young. He remembers how this goes, you know. So um, life isn't, at, is, let me say it this way. Life isn't, um, I forget it, okay. I wrote it out somewhere now. I can't remember how I wrote it. <laughs> but life is as, not as it is, but as I, as I am. That's how life is. To the cynic, that's what life is to him. To the thief, that is what life is like. We always judge life by how we are. Because to the pure, all things are pure. As he is, so life is. And so what happens is, people have come to me and said, well, I'm not going to share with you what I disagree with you on because um, nobody likes to know that they're wrong. Well, actually, I'm not like you in that regard. Anybody that knows me in the slightest degree, have been over to my house, knows that I can sit until 4 a.m. in the morning, and I love doing that. 
talking about doctrine and scriptures and the word of God. I love talking about theology. It's kind of like probably my, one of my two favorite things in the world. And so, um, you know, ask Tina. We can talk about the Bible until 3 in the morning anytime. I love, love doing that. But what I love to do is to filter what I believe through scriptures. Like, uh, okay, how, how does this work and how does that? And we talk about different people's positions and we debate them through. And I like to take sometimes devil's advocate and we talk it through like that. I actually love it when somebody comes to me and say, hey, by the way, you said that, but this is what scripture says. You say, uh, so how would you reconcile this? I'm like, all right, you know what? I think I might be wrong, but I'm, let me just try and see if there's a way of explaining this. I actually am the one who loves doing that. So I'm just saying I'm very accessible and I love being corrected in that way because I'm actually interested in what the Bible says. I'm not interested in being right. And so <clears throat> I just want to say that because many people that say, hey, you know what, you scripturally off on something, I am very open for conversation. The problem is people sometimes who accuse you are not open for conversation at all because they can't tell you where you're wrong. They just know that you are because somebody else told them that you are. So um, the Bible then says, hold firmly to that which is good. The term hold firmly here means to hold fast. The term there too means to embrace wholeheartedly with all that you are. The term there means to take possession of. In other words, make it yours. Examine everything, test everything, evaluate everything, judge everything scripturally according to your scripture using scripture as measuring tape, and then grab on to what is good and make it your own possession. Then it says, abstain from every form of evil. Abstain from every form of evil. The word abstain is a very strong word here. It means to hold, to, to hold oneself away from, to hold yourself away from. I'm pushing myself away from something or to rip yourself away from or to jar yourself out of a situation to shun that which is evil. So he's saying everything there is about you and about life, evaluate it. Measure it against scriptures. And when you find what is good, make it yours. But abstain from evil jar yourself away from it and then hold yourself away from that with all of your strength. Abstain from it. The word evil here means moral perversion, but the highest degree of moral perversion is the perversion of truth. So when it says abstain from every form of evil, it says pull yourself out of every uh, perversion of uh, moral perversion, but mostly pull yourself away from the perversion of truth. The term every form here means every kind, every sort, every species, every shape. So he's saying pull yourself away from evil of any kind, evil of any sort, evil of any shape. And once you have discerned it is evil, shun it, reject it, call it out, pull yourself away from it, rip yourself away from it. With all of your strength, hold yourself away from that. 
You see, this verse right here that we are using is uh, therefore a call to discernment in the greatest degree. Now, I used to read the word discernment in the Bible, and it used to be, to me, somebody that had this deep spiritual superpower. For those of you that come from churches, like maybe Pentecostal churches or, or even Word Faith, um, they have this idea that there's a very anointed man right there. He's very anointed. And then when he walks into the room, you're like, oh God, please don't show him all of my sins because he has this gift of discernment. These men uh, are not the men who walk in. People with discernment isn't the guy that walks in here with like, yeah, I know what's going on in your life. I can discern things about you. I see. Uh-huh. Yes, Jesus. Yes, Lord. Let me tell him. Yes, Lord. How will I share this with him? You know, that's not the person with discernment. That's, that, that, that guy is, mm, no, let me not say it. But the person of discernment doesn't have this deep supernatural spiritual power, superpower that can tell all your secrets. I know that the discernment is the ability you have to measure conversations, to measure truths, to measure statements, to measure ideologies, worldviews, policies, all of the above by scriptures. In other words, the person who knows scriptures is able to discern. The person who knows scriptures in context is able to discern. The reason discernment is such an important subject is because throughout history, and especially now, we see the church often drifting into error. And so I wanted to show you just three ways the church oftentimes drifts into error. And I'll bring up again Lauren Daigle. I love her voice. Oh, God, I just pray for her every day. But what the church does is that they reject doctrine for the sake of embracing relationships. Relationships and loving people has become the utmost, most important thing. Let me say it clearer. Um, The highest value in life, the highest authority in life is Scripture. Is not love for somebody. Because unsaved people love people, right? We all love those who love us. And we hate our enemies. And Jesus says, no, okay, actually, you should love your enemies too. So yes, love is um, God's nature. But God's word, God has placed above himself. To reject God's word is to reject God, to reject God's authority, to to reject God's will. And... So what the church has done is the church has rejected doctrine for the sake of embracing relationships. And Lauren goes on TV, of course, and she's asked a question, and this is, I'm not trying to harp on that issue, but she was asked about homosexuality, is it a sin? And Lauren says, well, I don't know. But then she adds to her statement the reason why she refuses to say she knows, because everybody knows what the Bible says about it, right? The Bible says it's a sin. But she will not say that it's a sin. Why? Because, and then she says, right after why she says, I don't know, she says why she said, I don't know. Because I have many friends who are gay, and they are wonderful people. You see what just happened there? Rejecting doctrine for the sake of embracing relationships. We have to make sure that you are supposed to not give up principle for relationships. 
your relationships should line up with your principles. Secondly, the reason the church oftentimes drifts is because they've become fascinated with entertainment and they've become completely bored with exposition of scriptures. If you think about the church at large now, whether it be smoke machines and lights and great music, and we want all of that. I'm not saying that anything is evil, uh, but, you know, there needs to be a really wonderful, funny preacher, and he needs to be well-spoken, and he needs to really, really touch. He needs to scratch that itch, you know. He needs to touch your emotion. He needs to speak to you about your felt needs. I'm not really interested in doctrine. I'm interested in being entertained and being moved emotionally and being lifted up. And so the church has drifted because it's become more fascinated with the entertainment of church and they've become absolutely bored with scriptural exposition. The moment we open the Bible and we start teaching, exposit, uh, give expository teaching, at least I have found that, like seriously, everybody, including myself, tend to get really bored. Because how would you like to exegete the book of Leviticus? <laughs> who, who just loves that? <laughs> when I'm done with it, I feel <laughs> extremely great. But while doing it, it's like, whew, it's rough. And so the church drifts because they cannot discern. And they cannot discern why? Because they don't know truth. And they don't know truth is because they've, they've aborted doctrine for the sake of relationship. And they've become a sub, they've become fascinated and distracted by entertainment and given up exposition. And thirdly, they've become enamored with feelings. And they've trivialized factual logic, biblical reasoning, and doctrinal thinking. They've, they've become enamored with feelings. If you know terminology within church life, there's such a thing as um, I mentioned before is, you know, felt needs teaching. Felt needs teaching. What is felt needs teaching? It's like, everybody, put your Bibles away. Okay, for those of you who are going through the fire right now, and your fire might be a divorce. Your fire that you're going through right now might be somebody rejected you. You've been bullied. There's a... Somebody here has been bullied, and, and you still have those scars of being bullied. And then those of you, some of you are going through a really lonely time. I have a word for you. There's a fourth man in that fire. There's a fourth man. And he'll never leave you and never forsake you. Okay, good. The only problem is when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were thrown into the fire, their fire wasn't being bullied or being rejected or being lonely or not having their way, or earning less than the guy next to you, that wasn't their fire. Their fire was the fact that the government demanded them to deny their religion and bow down to a false god. That was their fire. And they decided to not compromise their faith. That was their fire. Anyway, my point is just oftentimes felt needs uh, is what makes people come alive because we're so connected to our emotions and we give ourselves to our emotions and we go like, well, I don't really want to have to think through exegetical teaching because, oh, Bible doctrine, oh, it's too much. And they don't know, they don't realize that they have basically stimulated their emotion and they've starved their conscience. And their conscience is not being formed. 
by the highest truth there is to be known, which is Bible doctrine and theology. And because of it, like, when they get into a gray area in life, there's no discernment. They cannot discern. The only thing they can do is discern by what they're now very connected to and what's very developed, and that is their emotion. Well, I feel I've got many friends, and they're wonderful. They're just wonderful. So I'm not, I can't tell you that it's a sin. Mm. And again, that is why we have more than 33,000 different denominations uh, all having their own little pet doctrine they want to champion instead of looking for a cover-to-cover -cover doctrinal infusion of theology. All of it is important. It's not what we always want, but it's what we need at all times. So that is the inside challenge inside of the church, the challenge we have. But let's step outside of the church. We go to the other side of these walls. Travel with me into the world of post-modernism and post-truth, the post-truth culture, and you will see we live in a very non-discriminating world, a very non-discerning culture. In times past, people were celebrated for having great, uh, great um, sense of discernment. As a matter of fact, they were elevated, they were honored, and they were respected, and they were esteemed, they were highly regarded if in fact they were able to distinguish between right and wrong, good and evil, and when they had this gift, developed gift called discernment. Consider what was said about King David in 2 Samuel 14, 17. This is what they said. Yes, the king, King David, will give us peace again because we know that he is like an angel of God that can discern good from evil. He's like an angel from God that he, he, know, he, can, he can judge, he can evaluate good from right from wrong, bad from good. He, he has this ability. He's like an angel from God, and therefore they esteemed him highly. You see, it was his ability to discern that was celebrated. His ability to discriminate between right and wrong, judge between good and evil. Now, if we walk into the world today, you'll see the exact opposite is now true. If a person discriminates between good and evil, he's viewed by the world as a hater. He might even be sued by the ACLU. The, you see, the person who discerns evil will not be tolerated in this modern world filled with evil, driven by evil. The Bible says the world is under the sway of the wicked one. And for you to discern evil will cause you to be hated by the very world you're in. This is not a time that will tolerate absolutes. This is not a time that will tolerate convictions. Your convictions will not be tolerated. So when you consider the state of the church, how they can no longer really discern, and if you consider the state of the culture that we live in, which do not discern at all, but is really the opposite thereof, we can unanimously agree that our times cry out for men and women of discernment. That is what's lacking inside of the church and in the world. Men and women of discernment. That's why if God is going to use anyone as his instrument, it would be a man or a woman of discernment. That is who he has always used, and that is who he will now use. Think about the 500 years of darkness during the Middle Ages. 
Think about how we came out of those 500 years. How did that happen? Brave men who discerned between right and wrong, good and evil, that was happening inside of the church, and they had the courage to speak out against it. That's what happened. Again, when God uses somebody as an instrument in his hand, it is somebody with discernment that can say, that might feel good, but it is evil. That might look loving, but that is not God. You see, the crown of the called is discernment. The men and women who will be used by God in this ever-darkening age will be those with discernment. The church of Jesus Christ cannot and must not fall prey to the spirit of this age. And the spirit of this age is, you discern, you're a hater. You discern, you're judgmental. You discern, who do you think you are? So I need to end today with a very clearly outline of what I call the relational discernment checklist. <laughs> the relational discernment checklist. And when, when you have the opportunity to flip through the channels, the Christian channels, and you're looking for a Bible teacher with discernment, who do you choose? And right now with podcasts and YouTube and everything, I mean, we've got literally tens of thousands of teachers preachers that we can choose from and since the menu is so large <laughs> you know how do you go like well okay this one is nice that one's funny this one hey your sermon's only 17 minutes no excuse me Dave how long was that um, <laughs> so we, we have many reasons why we would choose somebody but if you're looking for somebody with discernment who do you choose also, when you're looking to learn from a friend with discernment, how do you know which friend <laughs> to lend your ears to? How do you know, okay, this is, the one I, this is the one I, with discernment, I go to him, I go to her. So ask yourself these questions, and I have six of them that you can write down or use to help yourself as a, using it as a checklist to see who's discerning. Ask yourself the question, is the one who changes his doctrines because he has learned new scriptures or more scriptures discerning or is the one who refuses to learn more scriptures because he refuses to change his personal doctrine discerning? Which one's discerning? The one who keeps changing? The person who reads the Bible and changes? Or the one who refuses to study the Bible because he's already decided he's not changing no matter what? Which one is more discerning? The one that changes. Number two, looking for somebody who's discerning, ask yourself this question. Is it the one who holds firmly to his faith that he grew up in and never changes that? He will hold fast to the confession of his faith because that's what he was taught? Or the one who holds fast firmly to his God because that is who his faith is actually in? The one whose faith is in his faith or the one whose faith is in the word because the word of God is what I actually have my faith in. Number three, is it the one who feels the truth or is it the one who reads the truth? Which one's discerning? 
Is it the one who feels the truth? Or is it the one who reads the truth and then believes it no matter how he feels? Number four, is it the one who points you to Scripture or is it the one who always points you to his favorite TV preacher? Which one's discerning? <laughs> Number five, is it the one who is willing to sit and study the actual Bible? Or is it the one who refuses to study the Bible in fear of being deceived by you? I mean, I've actually had that happen to me. Where people go like, I say, hey, if you, you know, if you wanted to talk about something that you might disagree with, let's sit over coffee and open up the Bible and let's, you know, you show me what, you, what you're saying and I'll show you what I'm saying. <clears throat> let's discern. Let's, let's be taught. Zion sharpens Zion, so one man sharpens another. And they go like, no, I'm not going to do that. I don't want you to deceive me. <laughs> like, okay. Uh, my sheep hear my voice. And the voice of a stranger, even if I'm the stranger, they will not ultimately follow, all right? So how about sitting with me? If, I'm, if I am Lucifer, angel of light, angel of coming as an angel of light, why don't you let me talk to you and see, uh, you know, see what happens. By the way, did you know the word teach comes from the word tooth? Because the word teach or tooth, let me say that, unless it grinds up against another tooth coming into the opposite direction, it cannot be fruitful. If you just have one tooth at the top and you have no teeth at the bottom, you can't chew, right? There's nothing to chew against. And so in order to teach, you have to teach up against ignorance. You have to have two positions that work up against each other. And so produce knowledge. And so the question here is, who's the discerning one? The one who's willing to sit and study the actual Bible or the one who refuses to study the Bible in fear of being deceived by you? Number six, who is the, who is the discerning one? The one who digs to discover the ancient historical Christianity? The one who digs to discover ancient Christianity? Or the one who loves his modern progressive faith so much all he needs to do is keep wrapping it with out-of-context Bible verses, and he's fine. Well, you know the answer to that. Those are six different questions you have to ask yourself, whether it be somebody on online, somebody on TV, or just a friend, to know who is actually able to discern. I want to end with this verse, Hebrews chapter 5, 14. It says this. Listen closely. But solid food is for the mature. Hmm. Okay, milk obviously is for the immature. But solid food is for the mature. Solid food is harder. It's more difficult to chew. It's more difficult to swallow. Have you ever had, have you ever opened up your Bible and you're seeing something in the Bible and it's just tough, it's tough to, it's, it's tough to chew on and it's really even tougher to swallow. Have you ever been there? Anybody? Solid food is for the mature. The immature, they can't, even, they can't even go there. Like, no, I don't like that. I don't even like the smell of that, let alone the taste. I'm not going to chew on it, let alone swallow it. <clears throat> but it says, for, but solid food is for the mature only. And then it explains who the mature are. It explains it right here. It says, for those 
who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice distinguishing good from evil. They're constantly practicing distinguishing good from evil. Listen, turning on the TV, listening to a lawmaker. Turning on the TBN, listening to a Bible teacher. Coming to church here and listening to me. Going to a small group and listening. And constantly practicing their power of discernment and so improving it. Do you know that discernment's a gift from God? And any gift will become better the more you practice it. Like I used to be a pianist. I still am a pianist. I used to practice. I used to, I went to college to become a concert pianist. Practicing four to six, eight hours a day. I mean, you become really good. And then you stop playing piano for 10 years. And you go, what happened? <laughs> you know, you feel like I'm the guy with the pianist with the boxing gloves playing, you know. But that's practice. It's like anything else. And here the Apostle Paul is saying, or Hebrews, excuse me, says, but solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained. How do you get it trained? By constant practice. What are you practicing? Distinguishing good from evil. Solid food is for who? For the mature. Who is the mature? Those who have the powers of discernment that are trained. Uh, how did they train their discernment? With, with constant practice. How did they practice their discernment constantly? By distinguishing between good and evil. They got that scriptural measuring tape everywhere. They have a conversation. They're driving home. They're measuring all their responses, their reactions, their statements they've made. And they repent from the ones they shouldn't have made. They get home. They say hello to their family. And they wonder like, am I being the father that God called me to be? They go to work Monday through Friday and they're measuring what kind, how diligent have they been. And they use scriptures to, do, to decide everything in life. Do you know the Bible, it's, the Bible says, unless the Lord builds the house, he that labors, labors in vain. Have you noticed that there's a builder and that there's a laborer? Unless the Lord builds, he that labors, labors in vain. Who is the builder? The designer. The architect. The, the leader, the ruler. You know why the word ruler comes from? The word ruler is, you know, when you take that ruler on your desk and you're measuring or you or you write or you drawing lines with rulers like we do at school. Well, that's where the word ruler comes from. The one who rules a nation is the one who determines the measurements of everything in the nation that he rules. And so God, the ruler. The sovereign ruler, unless God builds by determining the size of the life that you live and how to live, unless the Lord designs that, He's the architect, the one who labors at this life labors in vain. So it's important for us to go right back to God's design and say, okay, I'm going to live with discernment. And I, too, am going to use God's measuring devices. And I'm going to discern everything in life. And that is what the mature person does. He practices that day in and day out. And he will become mature. Amen. Did you get something out of the Word today?